top of the morning to you people. Um, this is Pastor Paul coming at you from the home offices here at Four Oaks Church. It's Wednesday, March 2nd, and super glad that you have joined us. We are walking through the book of Romans here together. We take 10 or 15 minutes Monday through Friday to unpack uh, a portion of the previous week's sermon that maybe we didn't get to spend as much time on or that deserve more attention, application, exposition, and the like. And of course, we're looking at one of the most famous books in all the Bible, Romans, one of the most famous chapters in all the Bible, Romans 8, and one of the most famous verses in all the Bible, Romans 8, 1. And so let me read our passage and um, draw out a couple of things that I mentioned on Sunday but um, would like to spend a little more time kind of giving you the backdrop for. Okay, so verse 1 in chapter 8 in Romans, Paul says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And that phrase, in Christ Jesus, is where we want to hone in here for a minute. I mentioned on Sunday um, the the phenomenon is not the right word, but the trend oftentimes now, and you see this more and more with Christians, is to not refer to themselves as Christian, but to refer, um, to refer to themselves as a follower of Christ or a Christ follower. Now, let me just say for a second that um, that is motivated, I think, oftentimes by something really good. And what it's motivated by is, particularly here in the South, it's very easy to use the word Christian, kind of like the word you use the word Catholic. It's an identity marker. And of course, I'm a Christian because my daddy was a Christian and my granddaddy was a Christian and we've been a part of ex-Baptist church for three centuries or what, what have you. And it becomes sort of this nominal label that doesn't really mean anything. And so sometimes people use the word Christ follower or follower of Christ to denote this idea that, hey, Christianity is not just some cultural identity marker. It's in fact, it encompasses my way of life that, that I'm marked off for Jesus and I'm following him and I'm obeying him and I'm trusting in him. And I think on that level, this is a really good thing, right? It's a, it, it helps us to, to differentiate uh, what can sometimes be kind of a nominal cultural term. Now, I want to raise a caution about this, and I want to go back to trying to understand what the word Christian literally means, okay? And so I'm, I'm pulling up some notes here, and I'm reading, the original Greek word for Christian is Christanos, which comes from the two Greek words Christ and shin. I'm just reading. The word Christ means anointed, and shin means little, so the word Christian literally means little anointed one. So what did Christ refer to himself as in his earthly ministry, the Messiah, the anointed one? And so when Christians took on that name Christian, it means little anointed ones. It means that we are publicly identifying ourselves with Christ. We're not just living the life Christ lived or following the way of Christ, but we are in fact identifying ourselves with him. Christian then was an identity marker. And I think this is what Paul gets at when he is talking about, therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So we were 
we were united with Christ in his death on the cross. We were buried with him. We were raised to newness of life. And so Jesus is not just someone we bring alongside of us or a set of rules or um, biblical imperatives that we want to imitate um, the way Jesus did, but we're but our life is now bound up with his, okay? So, so first thing to say, I think those who, if you, if you use the term Christ follower or follower of Christ, I think that's fine. That's great. Okay. But where we have to be careful is that sometimes, okay, particularly for, um, theologians, people on the progressive end of the theological spectrum, the reason they use the term follower of Christ or Christ follower, okay, is that they want to move away from different aspects of what traditional Orthodox Christianity has affirmed about what it means to be a Christian. See, at its heart, what we are trusting Christ for is his substitutionary death on the cross in our place. That, that his death was not just an example. His death was not just um, uh, a victorious sort of taunting his enemies, okay, where he brings life out of death. But his death was actually a propitiation, as we've learned in Romans 3. It was a sacrifice of atonement for sin to appease the wrath of God. And we see that language all over the New Testament, right? So by Paul says, by, by nature, we were, we were children of wrath in Ephesians 2. Um, it says in Romans 1 that God's wrath was being poured out on all mankind. And I think it's that this idea of Oh, just one more example, John 3. Uh, those He who does not trust the Son, the wrath of God remains upon him. And so this idea of the death of Jesus as a substitutionary penal atonement for sin is what um, those on the progressive theological end of the spectrum often recoil against, right? Because that sounds primitive. It sounds like pagan, like we're appeasing an angry God, which on one sense, okay, we have to say that's true, okay, that that God was righteously angry against us and that his just wrath was poured out on his son instead of us. And I think at the heart of what oftentimes drives some of the follower of Christ language is that it's a way of saying, I don't, I'm not tied up into that substitutionary bloody death, appeasing the wrath of God. That is just so antithetical to the modern age. That's just a relic of a bygone era. What I'm into is following the way of Jesus. Well, what scripture tells us is that we can follow, quote unquote, the way of Jesus and be heading straight to hell. We can be imitating the life of Christ, but not be trusting in Christ for the forgiveness of our sins, that he, in fact, was a substitutionary sacrifice in our place. And we have to say, what is it about wrath that is so odious to the modern ear? Well, I think the idea of wrath is so odious because, one, we don't like to think of God in those terms. But two, we don't like to think of ourselves in those terms. We don't like to think of ourselves as rebels or people who are doing anything to, to deserve wrath, that we are, after all, not perfect, but we're 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 doing pretty good. We're doing the best we can. And it would be unjust in some way for God 
to pour wrath out on us when, and we won't say it this way, but this is what we mean when we don't deserve that. Um, when we say, I can't worship a God, a wrathful God, we're, we're, we're basically saying, I'm not comfortable worshiping a God that's unlike me. Um, I'm not comfortable worshiping a God who sort of dictates the terms of relationship. And I think there's something really important that we lose when we lose wrath. I think we lose the gospel. This is what Reinhold Niebuhr said about this impulse, and he wrote this over 100 years ago. Um, he said this, a God without wrath, and he's describing liberal theology here, that this is kind of how you would encapsulate it. He says, a God without wrath brought men without sin into a kingdom without judgment through the ministrations of a Christ without a cross. Let me repeat that. When we lose wrath, here's what we end up embracing. A God without wrath brought men without sin into a kingdom without judgment through the ministrations of a Christ without a cross. See, when we lose wrath, we lose, we lose the cross. And when we lose the cross, we lose the gospel. We lose Jesus. Jesus then becomes a model. He becomes an example, but he's not a propitiatory sacrifice for our sins. Now, don't get me wrong. He is a model. Um, we do follow that path. We do obey him. We walk with him. We imitate him. And, and that's where I think some of that kingdom follower language is trying, to, is trying to uphold that versus this cultural moniker of Christian. But for a Christian, what we're basically saying is that we are publicly identified with Christ. We are in him. And not only are we following his way, okay, and imitating him, but we're trusting in him for his sacrificial death on our behalf, receiving the wrath of God, the just punishment of God that we ourselves deserved. All right, so, so there's a little um, backdrop for you. And I think one of the things that, that we miss in this passage is when Paul says, there is therefore now no condemnation, what, what does that imply? Well, before, as we've seen in Romans 1 through 7, we are under condemnation. And so it doesn't do us any spiritual good. In fact, it does us eternal harm to try to, to, to remove that piece of, of wrath, of God's righteous indignation against sin, his settled opposition against sin. It, it really destroys the gospel when you remove that plank. But when you insert it and you realize, I did justly deserve the condemnation of God, then Jesus becomes more precious, doesn't he? He... Um, becomes our treasure, and he is valued, and it inspires worship and adoration um, instead of just futility of trying to follow the way of Christ, never being able to, to do it, but having nowhere to go with our failures and our sin. And this is what Romans um, 8 preserves for us. Okay, that's where we are for today. Tomorrow, we'll be back at it. Hope you join us. Let me pray. Father, um, we don't want to worship a God made in our image. We want to worship uh, you for who you are. And so, Lord, we do believe your, your, your scriptures are crystal clear, that Jesus came not just to be an example to us, although he is an example, but he came to die in our place as a propitiation for sin. Lord, thank you for diverting your wrath from us onto him. And it's through him that we now have life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks, everybody. Have a great day.